صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered, Australia's only dedicated show on Palestine. This week, we're going to be joined by a dear friend of mine and fantastic Palestinian Amin, but we're in May. May for Palestinians is a very sad time of the year. It's the month that we lost Palestine. It's Nakba month. Nakba is Arabic for catastrophe, and the loss of Palestine was a catastrophe to the Palestinians during the Nakba Palestine was ethnically cleansed of three quarters of a million Palestinians, torn from their homes by Zionist terrorist forces, Irgun, Stern, Haganah gangs. Not content with throwing the Palestinians out, they destroyed these terror gangs. Zionist terror gangs destroyed 560 Palestinian villages, destroyed them to ensure the Palestinians had nowhere to return to. The towns that they didn't demolish those homes, the goods, the wealth of the Palestinians was given to Jewish settlers from Europe and the Palestinians thus were rendered stateless. Many today living as refugees in the collar states of Lebanon, Syria, Jordan. And as we know, the dismal conditions that the Palestinians face in those countries. Only this week a Palestinian refugee from Lebanon had been working in the United Arab Emirates. Now, this Lebanese-born Palestinian refugee, his name's Tahar Abu Taha, he's 31 years old. He got on the plane at, on May the 3rd. Lebanese air marshals quickly came on and took him off. And they made racist remarks and treated him inhumanely. And the basis of this was an obscure circular issued by the Lebanese General Security that is responsible for immigration into Lebanon, and they have barred the return of foreign maids and Palestinian refugees until further notice. The fact that Tarot's born in Lebanon makes no difference. He's Palestinian. And this is symptomatic of the treatment of Palestinians throughout the Arab world and a perpetuation of the pain of our Nakba. The Nakba didn't just happen in 1948 or 1967. In fact, the Nakba is continuing today within Palestine. It manifests itself in housing demolitions. It manifests itself in the apartheid regime and the control systems that the Israeli government has put into play to ensure the subjugation of the Palestinians and the oppression thereof. And it continues to this point today where Benjamin Netanyahu and Benny Gantz, a new coalition, is going to move forward with their plans to annex large chunks of the West Bank, thus finally delivering the death bell to the concept of a two-state solution. What we have is a one-state solution. We have a one-state apartheid state. It's time for us to move from that to a struggle for equal rights, regardless of faith, religion, colour, in the one land between the Jordan and the Mediterranean. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our next guest, a dear friend of mine. Amin is a fellow diaspora Palestinian and a co-founder and current chair of the Australian Foundation for the Palestinian Children, Olive Kids. 
Good morning, Amin. Thank you for joining us on Palestine Remembered. Thank you. Thanks. For, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure, Amin. A real pleasure. Now, Amin, I w- I'm not going to talk too much about what a wonderful Palestinian you are. We've got only a short amount of time. Amin, tell us your journey uh, as a diaspora Palestinian from your Nakba generation through to you in Australia today. Take us on that journey in the first instance. Okay. Well, uh, firstly, I guess the the first thing for everybody to understand about Palestinians is that. Uh, and I'm sure, Nasser, you probably spoke about this in this program before as well, that this is not just events of 1948. We're actually living in Nakba daily since then. Uh, our listeners can probably visualize this traumatic experience that we, we live both my family and your family and a lot of Palestinian families. And maybe they can visualize it in this way, that in 1948, it was this massive wave that suddenly and violently crushed our parents' and grandparents' lives into this ocean of displacement and loss. Um, I, I kind of visualize it in a way where it's, you know, these shattered people uh, scattered in, in this ocean, uh, but not left alone, where this Nakba continues, where these regular waves continue to further and further displace them. Uh, again, you know, these events of uh, 1948 were followed by 67, by Lebanon War, by the Gaza Wars, Kuwait War, uh, Iraq War, Libya, Yemen, Syria, all these uh, events uh, my family was definitely part of some of those events and some of those waves, but also there's everything else in between where even, uh, um, you know, the, the normal day for uh, Palestinians in Palestine or the refugee camps or many of those places is, is never normal. There's always something happening. Um, and I guess our journey started very early in 1948 with, with, on both sides, my father's side and my mother's side. Uh, and I can reflect and share stories about their experiences, but but that never really stopped uh, because we moved to Kuwait um, and and also even there, uh, that connection between Palestine and Kuwait was, was there through my parents and the bond and connection to their families, some that were still in Palestine, particularly in my father's side. However, that sense of belonging and identity and connection started to really get diluted and get confused. Um, eventually that displacement happened again where we left Kuwait, we went to Jordan and eventually uh, I made it to Australia with my sisters. And again, through these journeys and, and in discussions that I often have with my children uh, and, and my cousins and, you know, my sisters, it's often that question is like, where do we really belong? I mean, we feel so strongly about, about Palestine and I think probably uh, in, in people like you and I, Nasser, we, we feel super strong about this identity and this, you know, a uh, uh, whole uh, beautiful place, but it, it becomes not just the place. It becomes like what defines us. Um, and in so many ways, it became much more than that, than that place. It actually became, you know, everything else, the memories, the, the loss, uh, you know, the bonds, the connection, um, like, you know, a, 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 you know, some of these unusual things that start becomes synonymous with Palestinians, um, I think I can talk a lot about these things, but I'm probably going to pause here and, and, and help the conversation by maybe get you to structure my uh, uh, thought process through this this, uh, this interview. I mean, you're doing wonderfully. Perhaps go back to your grandfather and grandmother. Where, where in Palestine were they from? Are they 48ers, 67ers? Okay, so I have uh, my father's side there from uh, uh, Janine. Uh, they're actually originally from the town of Kabatia, but they... Uh, my grandfather migrated from Kavatia to Janine, which happens to be about um, uh, probably a seven minutes drive, so n- nothing too uh, too grand. 
Um, my grandparents in, from my father's side, my paternal side, uh, uh, were uh, active. My grandfather was in the uh, 1930s revolt. He fought with Azadin uh, al-Qassam resistance against the British and the Zionists. He was, um, you know, telling us stories. I remember I was quite young, but I remember his stories, specifically the story of him um, basically dying for a few days. Um, so it was one particular uh, raid that he was uh, part of, and uh, it was an air raid where uh, the whole contingent that it was part of uh, did not survive except for him. Uh, he pretended to be dead for hours, and then eventually, when uh, the, the uh, you know night came, he crawled for kilometers to a nearby village and eventually, obviously, survived. He's had wounds until he was like a, a very old man. You know, he's had holes in his body that he used to show us. Um, so, so this is kind of part of these stories that we're, we're talking about and we're describing. Uh, so my family up in that north, my father's side, uh, was very active in the resistance, particularly actually our hometown was known to be uh, uh, like a, a, a resistance spot. Kabaki in during the British uh, and also during the occupation. Uh, in 1967, uh, my father uh, was actually left just before uh, for, uh, for work in Kuwait, which is, again, part of our narrative, the Palestinians. I think this whole thing uh, is very well connected. The fact that the Gulf states were growing at the time and needing uh, the capacity and the educated Palestinians to, to basically take over and help build their, these countries. At the same time, kind of a lot of those well-educated Palestinians evacuated, uh, like the 1967 section at least. Um, and, and this is where my father went. 67, my uncle and my auntie had to walk from Janine all the way to Amman, uh, which is not an easy journey um, under obviously the bombing and the air raids and all the rest of it. In 1967, uh, a tank, um, actually two tanks came, uh, Jordanian ones came to our house in the mountain in Jenin, uh, my two grandparents were actually looking at them and they said one of them got stuck in our backyard in Jenin, uh, the other one left. Uh, and that uh, a tank that got stuck stayed in our house for decades. Uh, we used to say to the taxi when we used to reach uh, Palestine, take us to the uh, house of the tank in Jenin. And everybody knew what it was. So it was actually one of those, one of those easy landmarks. Uh, addresses to give and landmarks because that was the only one uh, up in the mountain in Janine. So, so these stories, I mean, I used to play near the, this, this tank uh, as, a, as a kid. Every year we used to spend uh, time with my grandparents in, in Palestine. Um, and it's part of this, you know, landscape. This is part of the narrative. There's war, there's death, uh, there's loss. Um, but, you know, as, as a child, it's always part of your trauma. The fact that you, you want to see your grandparents, you love this land, you love the culture, you love the food, uh, but at the same time, you have to go back at the end of the summer holiday because this is where your parents live in this um, not-so-grand place, probably very rich, a lot of luxuries, but you know, not really any culture or any sense of belonging. And um, look, our brothers in, in these Arab countries uh, keep on reminding us that we're only guests anyway, even as Palestinians that built their, their countries. Uh, so in a sense, that kind of helps um, not give you that sense of belonging to those places as well. Um, you know, this is probably one of those outcomes that we always feel. Uh, but this is kind of from my father's side. Um, from my mother's side, my, my, my 
parents come from Jerusalem. Uh, my grandfather uh, and my grandmother lived in Wadi Al-Jaws. They had the house there, um, which is just outside the old city. Um, they, my, my grandfather had a, uh, a store um, at uh, Java Gate, which is like uh, just outside uh, uh, the, uh, the Bab al-Khalil uh, in Arabic. Um, and yeah, during 1948, they, um, they suffered a lot of loss. They, uh, it was not easy. My grandfather was also with the resistance. Something I've re- learned recently that um, he had to smuggle his own goods out of his own store. Uh, and as he was actually uh, dropping those um, bags of clothes where, you know, were in the, his store, uh, in one incident, they uh, like started to shoot at him. Um, and he actually pointed the bag and the bag took some of the bullets and these clothes, my mother said, I still remember them. She was only six, but she remembers bent clothes with bullets, um, uh, that he brought home. Uh, these are some of the stories he used to, uh, take like a coffee and tea to the resistance. And quite often when he comes back, he used to come back with, with, uh, one of his comrades being injured and, and our uh, apparently, our, my grandparents' home became a makeshift hospital uh, where uh, nearly every day there's like a number of people that were injured and being treated, obviously Palestinian uh, fighters. Uh, and eventually, he thought it's not safe as they started to attack them uh, fairly fairly frequently. Um, so it's it's one of those amazing stories that uh, obviously you you start to reflect on uh, today as a, as you know your grandparents' story, but it's actually the the uh, young people like my mother, my father, who lived through those uh, traumas that still remember them and continue to reflect on them. My mother actually told me today, I asked her before uh, uh, jo- joining you, um, uh, if you remember any story that you actually did not mention to me. And one of the things that she said to me is, we used to duck under the, the bed uh, every time they used to tell us, uh, Al-Hajjani are here. Uh, so Haganah troops used to come to the streets of Jerusalem terrorize everybody. So the families used to scream, uh, uh, you know, Al-Hajjani are here. Um, uh, and, and these uh, Haganah terrorist groups used to obviously, you know, uh, uh, have a lot of stories behind it about killing, about uh, raping, about like, you know, uh, uh, like fearing uh, uh, them was like everywhere because they were known to uh, um, uh, throughout like Palestine about what they do. And this is where uh, my grandfather decided that that's it. We, um, I'll have to take my family out of here, and, and they left in 1948. And from there, they went to Jenin, or they go to Amman? Um, my mother's family went to uh, Amman. Um, they they were like in a in a good position. A lot of the Jerusalem family had probably enough uh, mm. to be able to rent houses and not go to refugee camps. Uh, so they they moved to a house in Amman. My uh, grandfather from my father's side actually they left Jenin for couple of hours and they decided to basically uh, uh, move towards Lebanon uh, and then they realized that um, they were carrying a pillow and by the way these pillow stories are true because I know my own family from my father's side did exactly this they actually held the pillow and it was not my youngest auntie Siham it was actually a pillow they realized this two hours walking towards Lebanon and they decided to go back to Janine and they went back and stayed uh, they did not leave um, uh, so the Siham was actually one of the like the auntie that I was just mentioning before. So uh, Siham and Ghassan had to walk from their house in Jenin all the way to Amman. She was obviously a young lady then, 
but she survived, obviously, uh, by not staying behind in 1948 in the house on her own. Just to be clear, they were carrying a pillow thinking it was a baby. Correct. Which is, um, which is, by the way, not, not, I've heard not this uncommon, story yeah. from more than one family. Um, yeah, yeah. In the panic, the panic. reaching in, grabbing everything. Exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, one thing you mentioned earlier on is this concept of guest. And uh, earlier on, I spoke about uh, a Palestinian Lebanese resident who was denied entry back into Lebanon from the United Arab Emirates because he was carrying a Palestinian travel document as a Lebanese-born third-generation refugee. The concept of guests, so you've gone a man to Kuwait, you grew up and were educated in Kuwait. Yep. Extend on that concept of how Palestinians are treated as guests. Okay, so so definitely uh, treated as guests at best, actually, I would say. Um, Sadly... I mean, it's a a nice word. It doesn't have the, you know, we're using it... uh, (laughs) Maybe preclarifically, I'm not sure that it and has the right. same con- connotations where uh, it's very generous, yeah. That's correct. So, look, I mean, I have to say that the probably earlier um, uh, Kuwaitis, um, Emiratis, Saudis, they really valued the Palestinians um, a lot more. Actually, it also reminds me of a story. Uh, my grandfather, who owned that story in Jerusalem, uh, had a, a friendship with um, one of the sheikhs of Kuwait. His name is Fahd al-Salem. He used to be a very influential sheikh, uh, and he used to run multiple ministries in Kuwait. But he used to frequent Jerusalem, and he's had a relationship with my grandfather. Now, after 1948, hearing what happened, he uh, visited Amman, and he was inquiring about this man he knew uh, by the name of Isa al-Masri, Abu Fuad. Like, where is Abu Fuad, Isa al-Masri? Where can I find him? So people asked him, why do you ask about this guy? And he said, he's such a gentleman. He was uh, like, a, has awesome manners. He's an amazing human being and a good friend. I would like to find him. Um, eventually, somebody said, I know where uh, Abu Fuad lives. And he guided him to, to him. And he insisted to take him to Kuwait. And he said, look, you're educated. You're... Uh, an amazing human being, you're trustworthy, I'd like you to come with me, and there's so much you can do with building this country. And reluctantly, uh, my grandfather, who was strongly believing that he's gone back to Jerusalem very soon, it's just a matter of maybe months or a year or two before, you know, obviously he's able to settle back in Jerusalem. Uh, but he, he accepted, and he went and uh, worked in Kuwait, eventually bringing his family often being asked to take the citizenship, the Kuwaiti citizenship, because obviously his best friend was the sheikh who used to um, take him every single weekend to his like, you know, beach house. They, they had like a, a, a really strong bond. But all the time, my grandfather used to say, I would not live in this desert. I, I'm from Jerusalem. I am the son of Jerusalem. I don't need to live in your country or uh, benefit from your oil. I, I have a, a, you know, a great city and I belong to a great homeland. Um, so he refused eventually to die and be buried in Kuwait. His children, uh, who contributed a lot to the Kuwaiti society, one of them, my uncle, who still lives there, actually, um, he's known in Kuwait to really his contribution to a lot of large organizations. Um, eventually said, um, I would like to take the Kuwaiti citizenship, and he was refused. In fact, his kids, when they get education overseas, he has to make special arrangements to be able to get them to visit him. Eventually, they, some of them actually working there, but the point being, 
you're never as welcomed. And I'm talking about someone who's influential there, being my uncle. Now, we're talking about a lot of Palestinians who used to be the educators, people who basically put together the education system for all the Gulf states. Some of them live in Australia, who had to be forced, like basically had to survive by leaving Kuwait during the, the uh, uh, Kuwait, li- after the Kuwait liberation because they were considered uh, collaborators with the Iraqis. Mm. Uh, and obviously they were not. There were like a lot of myths about this collaboration. Uh, they had nowhere else to go, unlike many other nationalities, where they obviously could go home. Palestinians could go, go, not go anywhere, uh, which means they were stuck and they were thought of as, okay, well, you're staying in the country, you're collaborating. Ignorance or otherwise from some of the Kuwaitis, but uh, these uh, uh, Palestinians that stayed behind uh, faced also like all sorts of uh, discrimination, discrimination, at times loss of life, and uh, at times, you know, uh, extreme uh, uh, situations. So some of those were actually those educators that created the books and the education systems for these countries. Well, it wasn't just the education system, the engineers, the, you know, the petrochemical engineers, the, the uh, civil engineers, the infrastructure that is the Gulf, the, you know, the, the wealth that comes out of that, all of that civil work was done by Palestinian engineers, you know. And uh, absolutely. And, and so the, the story you talk about from a, a Kuwaitis perspective, you, you go from being a guest and your grandfather is fettered and the sheikh is offering him citizenship to your uncle has contributed so much and has to get special permission for his kids to visit him. This concept of guests, then post-Gulf uh, War, your collaborators, we've seen that exactly in Iraq with the Palestinians there, now, in, uh, just most recently, obviously, in Syria, in Yarmouk, and now, increasingly, in Lebanon. The concept of being a Palestinian amongst your brothers, we've been othered to such a degree and despised to such a degree. And this is a perpetuation of the Nakba. Whilst the Nakba was a catastrophe in the ethnic cleanse, but the pain is ongoing. Absolutely. I mean, a good example of that is in, in this COVID world, few students from Jerusalem who were stuck in the U.S. unable to go back because Israel would not recognize them. Um, Jordan would not recognize them. They, they're stuck. Same thing with the examples that you gave with the, with the Palestinians from Lebanon who happen to be traveling and, and have a travel document from Lebanon. Um, I have so many stories after the Kuwait war where my friends you know, uh, uh, Palestinians with travel documents, like I was one of the lucky ones with a Jordanian uh, passport. Some of them didn't have anything but like a, what we call suffered, a travel document, Palestinian travel document. Um, and, and these people were stuck in airports for weeks, uh, were stuck in ships for weeks. Uh, they were uh, like denied access to the countries that issue these, these travel documents, like a, if you have an Egyptian travel document, you're not allowed to go to Egypt. If you have a, a quite often a Syrian one, they might not want you in to go into Syria. So there's been like so much discrimination against the Palestinians with travel documents. Um, it, it's just sad. And some of those people are actually now either in the US or in Canada or in Australia, very prominent Palestinians contributing to the, you know, the, the companies or the societies that they're part of in, in, a, in a massive way, which is kind of some reflections that I would like to share with you as well about like how Palestinians kind of evolved with Nakba into creating something positive out of it. And I remember my dad used to say, you know, the Palestinian is the Zionist of the Arab world. <laughs> That's a very true statement. <laughs> so sh- share with us. Uh, I guess there's, there's probably three values that I always think that um, 
Palestinians in general, but definitely in my family, uh, that really stuck with us um, over the years or even the decades. Uh, pretty much since Anakba, the, the first one is this value of resilience, the steadfastness, the ability to live this throughout every way of your life, uh, both in Palestine or outside, whether you're under occupation or under the discrimination that you live in, whatever you are, um, you know, the displacement, the oppression, uh, you, you're always still resilient. You're always standing up, standing tall and, and really facing it. Um, and, and probably to call out one particular group of the Palestinians would be Palestinian women. Uh, my mother, uh, my grandmothers, uh, every Palestinian mother in general, they're really the amazing, uh, you know, uh, uh, core, core uh, resi- like resistors of the struggle. They're, they're really our um, you know, spine, if you like. Um, and this is where like that resilience comes from. Um, the, the second one, I think, the second value is this education uh, uh, value as a priority, something that is considered really the, the weapon for our survival. And again, this is about taking leave from, from being the Zionist of, of the Arab world. Um, you know, education uh, for Palestinians is, 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 a, is really the first religion. Uh, you, you often see Palestinian kids or hear Palestinian kids saying, we have two choices, either being a doctor or an engineer, right? <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it's true. I mean, if, if, you, if you look at a lot of the, uh, uh, like, you know, the Palestinians, that even in, in poor families, in families that are struggling uh, for food, they will not compromise on education. Uh, so it's, it's an amazing value that continues to, to live through uh, everywhere in Palestine. And the third one is that concept of excellence. You have to excel in everything you do. It's also part of your survival. Um, and again, this is fed to every kid, every Palestinian kid at a young age. You know, mediocrity um, is not an option. You, you have to fight for excellence, uh, whether you're doing it in sports, whether you're doing it in education, whether you're doing it in anything. You, you have to, to, to really do it to survive. And I think a lot of the Palestinians, uh, again, reflecting on my period in Kuwait, um, to, to get into Kuwait University, for example, you had to basically be a genius, right? You have to get massive grades uh, to, to really get in. And uh, the Palestinians had no option. Some of them could not afford to go to, you know, foreign countries and, and you know, get paid by their parents for their education. Uh, and their only mode of survival is to study hard and, and get the, the, the results. And often in Kuwait, and again, this is a, a very cosmopolitan city at the time, and, and there's like so many nationalities. When you like finish, if you like, the VCE or, uh, you know, the, your year 12 exam, and the first 100, the top 100 in the country, they're all Palestinian. I mean, they, they used, I remember the Emir used to um, acknowledge and they used to give gifts for the, the top 10 or 20 uh, in the country or 50, something like that. And then when they started to always become like 50 names of Palestinians, they give it, give it up, right? <laughs> um, but, but that tells you that this is, this is something that is really ingrained into the Palestinian values. Now, I mean, we're running out of time, but uh, we've got a few minutes left. Something that we share, a passion we share for is uh, Olive Kids Australian Foundation for Palestinian Children. Tell us about the new campaign. At Olive Kids, we uh, started the new campaign focusing on uh, children and, and education and, and also to a large extent going to basics, also food. The campaign name is Give a Gift. Uh, this is in the back of finishing an earlier campaign where we raised $40,000 for uh, COVID-19. So we 
uh, provided poor families uh, packages of food and health packages with also some education where our volunteers or some partner volunteers were going around educating people about like hygiene and how to ensure that they stay safe. Um, but the more recent campaign focuses on the children. Uh, we want to buy them uh, meals. So we're aiming to have uh, 3,000 uh, uh, meals for, for the children. Uh, we also would like to buy a backpack where we can also uh, buy children uh, new clothes, um, uh, a T-shirt and pants and shoes. Uh, and also uh, uh, wanting to ensure that they uh, are set up for uh, uh, their education. Obviously, we wanted to do this in the right way. It's not uh, at the start of the school year yet, but a lot of the kids missed out on school. So they will probably be doing some form of schooling. But also we wanted to work with our partners at Al-Anwal where we wanted to give them the chance to also employ some of the poorer parents from those orphan families where we could potentially do uh, uh, the clothing uh, at, uh, at the orphanage. So they more recently through different funding managed to get uh, like a small sealant factory. So uh, they should be in a position to help us uh, basically get the, the clothing uh, in order for the children. So we're excited about this campaign. So people can go to olivekids.org.au to support that campaign and sponsor a child. That was my dear friend and me joining us. Don't forget to go to olivekids.org.au to support that campaign. Now there's a huge amount of events for Nakba. Go to apan.org.au to have a look at all the events. There's a number of fantastic events happening nationally. Be sure to tune in next week for Palestine Remembered. Share the podcast with your friends. And remember... Nobody is free until we're all free. Free Palestine.